It's Wednesday, October 23rd. I'm Martine Powers. This is an impeachment inquiry update from Post Reports. So the impeachment inquiry feels like it is in full swing right now. And a bunch of administration officials have been testifying on Capitol Hill. What was the main takeaway from Tuesday's closed-door hearing with Bill Taylor, the acting ambassador to Ukraine? Bill Taylor's testimony was the one we've been waiting for for a very long time. Aaron Blake is a reporter for the Post-Politics blog, The Fix. And Democrats are hailing this as a complete game-changer. The evidence of wrongdoing by Donald Trump is hiding in plain sight. They're talking about how when he delivered his statement, there were gasps and sighs in the hearing room. The arrows continue to point in only one direction. It really sounds like this was the moment that Democrats thought they finally had their true smoking gun in this investigation. It's not even noon, right? And this is the my most disturbing day in Congress so far. The testimony that we've seen from Tuesday, which to this point is basically his 15-page opening statement, confirms he suspected there was quid pro quos, that shady things were happening, and also that he was privy to some of them. I think the biggest upshot here is that Bill Taylor is not just talking about the idea that military aid was being withheld for leverage or that a meeting was being withheld for leverage. He actually described how this was communicated to Ukrainian officials, which would be understood at least to Ukraine as a potential quid pro quo. I also think it's helpful in understanding Taylor's testimony and the significance of it. It's helpful to go back and get a better sense of who he is and what his background was before he was asked to do this job. Some of the irony here is that Bill Taylor is only in this position because of what was thought to be a political effort to remove the former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich. After she was removed by the State Department early, Bill Taylor, who is a former ambassador to Ukraine from the Bush administration, who has intimate knowledge of this country, was basically picked as the temporary replacement. Not a full-time ambassador. He was not confirmed, but he is somebody who was selected by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to basically fill the gap. Taylor also describes in his testimony when he was asked to take on this job uh, that he expressed some reservations about what the policy towards Ukraine was going to be in the Trump administration. He even expressed some reservations about what Rudy Giuliani was up to in Ukraine, but that he ultimately was persuaded to take the job. And so if Taylor had all these concerns when he was coming to the job, what did he find out when he actually got into the job? Well, it sounds like it confirmed some of his worst fears here. Uh, He talked earlier about how he thought Giuliani was maybe up to no good there. He said that once he took the job, quote, there appeared to be two channels of U.S. policymaking and implementation, one regular and one highly irregular. He's not the first person to point to the idea that there was some kind of shadow diplomacy taking place that involved Rudy Giuliani and certain members of the administration, mostly political appointees. But he really crystallizes the idea that things were being handled in one channel and were being obscured from other channels. He notes at several points that there was a phone call in which Kurt Volker, a special envoy to Ukraine, talked about how he didn't want to have interagency people on the 
call because he was worried about there being a transcript. He also notes how after the president's July 25th call with the Ukrainian president, the, the call that we now have the rough transcript of, he, as the top U.S. official in Ukraine, was not given a readout of what took place on that phone call, which is pretty remarkable for somebody in his position. And so he seems to be concluding that that was an intentional effort to obfuscate what was happening in this kind of shadow diplomacy channel with Ukraine. He may not have said it in so many words, but that was the undeniable implication of everything that he testified to on Tuesday. He basically suggested that this was calculated, that it was communicated, that it was explicit, that nothing about it was terribly subtle, which is something that we hadn't really seen from previous witnesses who maybe suggested that something untoward was happening, but couldn't necessarily point to it being by design or couldn't necessarily point to it having been communicated to Ukraine. And if this all goes back to the central idea of whether there was an explicit quid pro quo between the president and Ukraine and trying to get them to investigate Joe Biden, what was the evidence or the incidents that Taylor outlined that appeared to support the idea that there was a quid pro quo? The most important exchange that he describes is a phone call that he had with Tim Morrison. Morrison was the, the head of the Eurasia desk on the National Security Council, somebody intimately familiar with what's happening in this region. And he said that Morrison recounted a conversation that Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the EU, had with Andrei Yermak, a top aide to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky uh, in Warsaw. He said that Sondland had told Yermak that the security assistance money, that's the hundreds of millions of dollars that the Trump administration was withholding from Ukraine at this time, would not come until Zelensky committed to pressure his officials to investigate Burisma, which was the company that employed Hunter Biden. If this is an accurate recounting of the conversation Sondland had with a top Ukrainian official, this would be by far the most explicit communication of the quid pro quo. It's one thing to withhold security assistance. It's one thing to say, hey, wouldn't you like a meeting with President Trump? It's another thing to say, oh, by the way, these things are conditioned upon you doing X, Y, Z and having that X, Y, Z be something that is pretty transparently political and beneficial for President Trump personally. And this recounting from from Taylor's testimony, how have we seen Trump and the White House and Republican lawmakers respond to it? Well, Republicans have generally focused on process objections. They've talked about how these hearings and depositions are not open, how uh, government counsel is not allowed to be next to these witnesses. The few who have actually weighed in on the substance of what Bill Taylor has said haven't been able to put a terribly good face on it. I think the most telling comment we saw was from Senator John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, the number two ranking Republican in the Senate, who basically conceded that according to what Bill Taylor said, and of course what Bill Taylor said has to be corroborated, that this looks bad for the White House. But there are still more administration officials that are scheduled to come up on the Hill and to give their testimony in these closed-door hearings. What can we expect from that, and what are the questions that they might be able to answer? I think the suggestions are that there were lots of people who were aware of these conversations. The fact that Tim Morrison was relaying this conversation that Gordon Sondland had with a top Ukrainian official 
to Bill Taylor suggests that there were people who were aware of the content of that conversation. Uh, those people would need to be testifying, would need to be corroborating what Bill Taylor said. And to the extent that they did and to the extent that they nailed down the idea that this military aid was explicitly tied to investigations that are politically helpful for President Trump, that would pretty much obliterate the entire defense that the Republicans started with here, which was, well, maybe, yeah, military aid was withheld. Yeah, they were kind of playing hardball about getting a meeting with the president, but it was never explicit. There was no actual corrupt quid pro quo. If those things can be tied together rather than being separate, and maybe there just have been something of an implicit understanding here, if it was directly communicated, that's pretty much a worst case scenario for President Trump here, because that's exactly what the whistleblower initially described as people being concerned about in the complaint. I think what we're going to see, though, is the White House try and chip away at that argument and basically try and undermine the idea that this was inherently corrupt, even if they were pushing for these specific investigations. I think that one of the big concerns that Democrats had for a long time about the prospect of trying to impeach the president was that this whole process could become very political and could start to look politically motivated. I'm wondering if you feel like things have started to get political, that you have really seen this be a Democrats versus Republicans conflict. There is no question that this has gotten extremely political. It was never going to be any other way. And I think you saw that most pronounced in what happened a few hours ago when a bunch of House Republicans effectively stormed the deposition room where these depositions were taking place. I'm gathered here with dozens of my congressional colleagues. And raised concerns about how things were being handled. There was apparently quite a scene. There was concerns about these members having brought cell phones into what is supposed to be a secured area and raising concerns about what that might mean. And and when you say stormed, I mean, like, basically literally stormed. Like, literally, a bunch of them showed up unannounced and pushed their way in, even though they weren't allowed to be there. Because if behind those doors they intend to overturn the results of an American presidential election, we want to know what's going on. Literally 30 people who announce we are going to go in here and raise concerns. We are going to force our way in. We're going to go and see if we can get inside. So let's, uh, let's see if we can get And in. they essentially did that, delaying the testimony of a key witness, Laura Cooper, for a while. Laura Cooper is the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Her main role in this investigation is as the person who understood the withholding of military aid to Ukraine, the hundreds of millions of dollars that were withheld in August and early September. This crystallizes how contentious this is going to be. I think as the evidence has gotten worse for the administration, there is a bigger premium on doing things like this to to politicize it, essentially. Certainly the best thing you can do when uh, the evidence is going against you is to raise concerns about the process. And that seems to be the chief argument for Republicans right now. And so what we saw Wednesday was was very much geared towards that. It's all about undermining the people who are in charge of this. It's all about focusing the lens on them rather than the actual evidence. It doesn't mean that some of the, the arguments that they make about the process aren't valid, but it is a, a very strategic effort to, to focus this on other things. And I think that's where we're going to see more and more of from Republicans moving forward. Aaron Blake is a political writer for The Fix. 
That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.